You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Accounted For. This is the podcast that shares and inspires unconventional career journeys. Please help the podcast grow by telling your friends who don't know what to do with their careers about our podcast and maybe you can even recommend some episodes that you liked to your friends that you think would be helpful for them it also helps if you let's say leave a nice review on itunes or even rate us five stars on whatever podcast listening apparatus or medium you use if you'd also like to stay more involved with the community that i've built at omd ventures please subscribe to the weekly weekly newsletter at omdventures.com there's newsletters sign up options everywhere all over all over the site with that you'll get the weekly podcast episode as well as the essays the learnings newsletter and an exclusive content that i write every week on what is actually like to build omd ventures and you get to kind of get an inside peek as you follow along on my journey all right so today's conversation is with daniel francovilla he is the founder and creative director of now creative group Now Creative Group is a creative agency based in Toronto that builds brands and tells stories through impactful design, digital marketing, and media. In our chat, we go through Daniel's journey from a freelance graphic designer in high school to starting his own agency after graduating from OCAD. We talk about Access, his first entrepreneurial project he started in high school, which was actually in the not-for-profit space, and it's also in his 13-year of operation to specific pricing and client-related tactics in running the creative agency, as well as his process of focusing on strength in business and life. Daniel received the 40 Under 40 Award in 2018, and I can understand why from seeing and also learning about what he has built in his creative and social impact ventures. This was a really fun conversation for me, especially because I'm definitely a really new person to this creative space compared to someone like Daniel, who's a veteran. And I learned a lot about, I'd say, the creative agency side, but also just running your own kind of creative venture. But I think especially for any millennial or even Gen Z person who's considering on starting any kind of entrepreneurial project, this would be an episode that really inspires you and actually provides you with a lot of insight on how you could even think about starting your own projects as well. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Daniel. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, we have Daniel Francovilla. Daniel, thanks for coming on the podcast. No problem, happy to be here. And Daniel here is the founder and creative director of Now Creative Group. It might be a little confusing for you guys because we have two Daniels. It's the first, it might be the first time that I have <laughs> first two Daniels. First episode, okay. <laughs> and so, Daniel, for the audience who may not be familiar with could you describe what your company now creative group is as well as how you guys are differentiated in your own market for sure so yeah now creative group is one of many many agencies here in toronto um i run the agency as more of a, a strategist and a creative director uh and i have a managing director as well named april who kind of uh looks after the team and the clients and the bigger picture stuff so um, but our agency specifically focuses on building brands uh, and telling those stories. Uh, ideally, 
when we when we are given the opportunity through a holistic branding and strategy perspective. Um, and sometimes we end up doing just certain components of that, such as social media management, video production, uh, graphic design, uh, any number of uh, you know creative um, outputs. Yeah, and you said there's many many agencies out there. How many are there? I'm not too familiar with this space. Toronto actually has uh, is is definitely in the top ten cities in North America for the amount of creatives and creative agencies. So there's quite a few here. I don't I don't have a number offhand, but uh, it's a crowded space. So for us, one of our differentiators is that uh, we love to focus on the um, like the positive storytelling side of things so uh if there's any type of positive impact whether it's you know a startup trying to change an industry or whether it's a social enterprise or a nonprofit trying to make a positive difference in their in their field or in the world um that's where we uh really like to specialize in owning on those stories gotcha and are you a toronto native yourself uh i'm from the gta yes okay. i was born in etobicoke lived in brampton and uh, i've also lived in toronto gotcha uh, but your last name, Francavilla, where's the heritage? That's from? Italian. Yes. Oh, okay. My my entire entire family background is all Italian. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and do you come from a house of entrepreneurs like yourself? Uh, I do not actually. Yeah. In in my household of uh, like my parents and my siblings, I'm I'm the entrepreneur. Uh, but I guess if you look back to you know my grandparents, they they've run restaurants and stuff in the past mm. too. So, um, but yeah, I would say I'm I'm the current full-time entrepreneur uh, in my household and so that did you would you say that this was kind of a dream come true like what did you dream about being as a kid like was it to have your own kind of agency for me when i was uh when i was growing up looking at careers i knew i wanted to do something creative for sure but uh i wasn't too sure what that even meant i didn't know what uh the word entrepreneurship meant actually i remember there was a class in high school that like in the course calendar that said entrepreneurship, but I literally didn't know what that word was. Mm -hmm. So for me, it wasn't like I wanted to become an entrepreneur as an identity. It was more so that I want to create things. Um, and I also had a really big um, uh, passion for making making a difference, like community work. So charity stuff, fundraising, volunteering, um, helping people in need. And eventually, I, my first venture was actually doing a nonprofit. So eventually, those two things, after many years, have kind of uh, merged together, because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of collaboration and overlap between the two. But my intention was not necessarily to start a creative agency. I knew I wanted to do design work and stuff like that. But um, if you asked me in high school, I said, yeah, at some day, I'd like to run my own agency. Mm. I ended up doing it right out of school. So yeah, and it seems like the nonprofit, it's called Access, correct? Yep, that's right. So, yeah, uh, yeah I can tell you a bit about how that's Yeah, because I was, I was reading a bit about it and I learned that you started out of high school and not many people start an, an, you know, a nonprofit out of high school. Even less so keep it continuously running. <laughs> I think it's been running for like 13 years or something 13 now. years, it'll be 14 this spring in yeah. March. So, yeah, that, that's a good thing actually. One of the issues that I'm looking to tackle in the last three or four years has been um, helping these youth-led nonprofit groups with some type of sustainability or, you know, even just getting them to think about it beyond a student club, right? A lot of these groups start in high school or post-secondary. You know, I know uh, at Laurier, they have like hundreds of student clubs, for example. We had one there as well. I didn't go to Laurier, but uh, we had a Access U chapter there. Um, and there was hundreds of student clubs and they had, you know, awards for best club and stuff like this. And, um, but like what happens right after that, right? A lot of these students will uh, either pass it on to another student or it'll just fizzle out, right? And so 
Um, I'm working with these uh, students and young people on how to create something sustainable and help them to build um, an organization that aligns with their own lifestyle, their own purpose, their own goals, so that it's not like this, you know, this one thing that you did one time when you were when you were in high school. So mm-hmm. um, when I was in high school, um, I was I was inspired by the trip I went on. Right, so we went to this exposure trip in grade ten, which was to see what life is like for you know most of the world. Right, a lot of the developing countries, majority of the world's population lives significantly less. Uh, with a lot less resources and wealth than we have here in Toronto. So um, I got to see what that was like. It wasn't so much like a mission trip, a volunteer trip. It was more uh, an awareness trip, right? Exposure trip, they called it. From that, though, um, I was really inspired by the people I met there, the the students we spoke to. They wanted to... Um, they wanted to go to school. They wanted us to help them learn English. They wanted to, you know, get a career and, and help their families. And unemployment is huge there. And, and a lot of people don't even graduate from high school, let alone university. Sorry, where did you go? So I went to Dominican Republic on this trip. And then following up with that after high school, I went to Haiti as well, right after the earthquake in 2010. And they're on the same, uh, geographically, they're on the same kind of, I guess, island or I don't know if it's, I don't know the word for it, but um, they're on the same place. But one is, you know, heavy with tourism, right? Dominican Republic has all kinds of resorts. You know, people go there all the time. But outside of those resorts is a lot of extreme poverty, right? And the economy is messed up and there's a lot of uh, battles and conflicts and racism stemming from, you know, the difference between Haitians and Dominican Republic, where a lot of time, for a long time, Haitians weren't even able to get work or they were kind of ostracized in Dominican Republic. And of course, Haiti is literally one of the poorest countries in the whole Western hemisphere. So for me, um, opening up my eyes to that firsthand was like nothing I'd ever seen. And uh, the action I was able to take, at least in that, you know, grade 10 version of me was they want to go to school. They can't get into school without a uniform because of the rules and whatnot. So we will fundraise for uniforms. That was kind of the first fundraiser and event that I did was uh, raising money for school uniforms and shoes, which, again, we take those obviously take those for granted here. But um, that was a big thing to enable them. That was the first action I took and kind of got the community around me. And, uh, you know, we raised a bunch of money that first collection and, and that sprung things forward into an actual organization. And I think this resonates really well with, I think, one part of your life that I read about where for you, I think a big motivation is to create social change. And I'd be curious, like, what, what does that mean for you? Like, what, do you what did you envision when you said that of yourself? Yeah, social change is a huge word right it's a yeah. it's a big thing so for me I actually break it down into how are individual people whether they're students and they and they change a perspective now and in, the, in their mindset like for me going on that trip and volunteering in all these different nonprofits and groups and church and things like that um, framed my perspective of social justice right um, when it comes to social change you know realizing that in another way or, or later on it's realizing that there's a constant need for improvement, um, no matter what uh, stage in life you're at or financial background you have. There's huge issues out there that the world needs to address, right? Stemming from you know the the various um, issues that come from inequality, um, from poverty, from uh, all of that, right? There's so many issues we have, and social change could be as little as changing someone's mindset. If you change 
that individual's mindset, they can change their group, their friends group's mindset, or they can change their family's mindset, which then stems out into their community, their school, their workplace, you know, their city and, and beyond. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they always talk about uh, like a lot of these youth uh, conferences and events say, you know, it's about changing the world. And really that boils down to on a practical level, changing the ideas of the people that are around you. Mm. And how did, design formulate from you know that kind of experience. it seems like running uh, access was a huge part of your early i think teens and like growing up into like the university stage i find a lot of mm-hmm. individuals at least in my circle who are very passionate about that early on they end up going into poli sci or some kind of right. international development kind of yep. fields but for you you end up pursuing graphic design at ocad um absolutely and i think if I'm correct, you actually started freelancing in graphic design while you were in high school before even going to school. I did, yeah. So for me, the way the way I thought of it was, you know, of course, when you're in high school, you don't really know what your career right. is going to be necessarily, right? I mean, you might have some people have a direct path, but uh, I was always the go-to guy for like designing the school posters for every event that happened, designing the yearbook cover, all that type of stuff, right? If you needed something, I was I was the go-to design person at that time, uh, and I was involved in so many of the school clubs and events that, you know, I, I just started doing it. Um, so I had this interest in design uh, specifically because it, it allowed me to to get involved in things and um, communicate these awesome, oops, communicate these, sorry, that no was me, uh, communicate these awesome ideas that are happening, right? So for example, um, really cool events and initiatives and performances that people put, you know, dozens and dozens of hours into without a good design to advertise that or poster or proper messaging or social graphics chances are very few people are going to actually come out to that right Mm -hmm. so it was super small uh level hey i want to get to learn the software um i started off in this really cool um com tech uh communications technology lab in 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 high school and i got the uh inclination to just keep exploring things to keep trying things in there it was a really unique setting where uh, the teachers that had set this up, one was more on the video side, one was more on the photography and design and coding side. Um, they set us up to be able to have that lab available all the time. So one of the teachers would come at like 530 in the morning and the other would stay till 637 at night sometimes. And we could use it before and after school for our own projects. And this is kind of at a time where like not every kid, high school kid grew up having iPads and, and Macs available. Now I think like Students are getting laptops a lot earlier too, but at the time, like we were the kids that like needed this software and these tools. So um, I just started exploring, right? We had our own school TV show. Um, That teacher, his name is Mr. Fujiwara. Um, He just retired actually this year and like he he moved on to another school and built a whole program there with like, again, huge green screen room and all this. So that opened my eyes to, okay, what can I actually do with this now that we have the skills? And I did not go into, you know, radio, television, arts or broadcasting, um, which was one of the trajectories from that program. Um, But I did decide to explore freelance design work. Um, Now, I applied for university. I did apply to an international development program, uh, which was in Halifax, Dalhousie. Uh, and I applied for a variety of other programs, but I just figured, okay, you know, once I have my options, I'll decide what to do. Uh, I ended up um, going to OCAD for one of their grad ex- grad exhibitions and seeing like the crazy amounts of 
of work. Like thousands of students, the whole school is open. Uh, every floor has, you know, everything from uh, like 3D installations, fabrication, uh, painting, design, like digital animation, all that stuff. And I realized like, you know what, if I go into design or if I go into the creative space, I can use this for anything, right? I can use it to push a cause that I want. I can use it to start my own business. I can use it to help, you know, any number of things. And I figured if I don't want to commit to exactly one industry, like international development, I could do design for an international development organization as an example, right? So long story short, uh, I chose design because it applies to everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it seems like you continued doing freelance work even while you were work, you know, while you were a student in university, and then you Absolutely. started now creative practically within the year of graduating at there. Yeah, honestly. So I I didn't have the intention of starting an agency right away because I figured, of course, I got to work somewhere. Um, but because I had the freelance experience and I literally had, you know, some traction, I had clients, um, I realized that, um, you know, I could keep going on this path and learn more because you learn so much by actually doing the thing, right? Um, in in school and university, they didn't teach us very much at all about the, the client process. It was more about the theory and the concepts behind art and design and the principles. And so um, I was more more interested in those classes where, you know, the, the, the instructor or the prof would talk a little bit about their, you know, their agency or what they're doing with a client or with a project. And um, one of my profs for this, we had this crazy design thinking type course called Think Tank. She was doing these real world projects that had to do with community stuff and nonprofit stuff. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is eye opening, right? These two worlds can actually come together and I can use design for for social good and social change. So my thesis be actually became uh, called, it was called designing for good. And I even have it on, you know, on a website still somewhere, but I produced this book about, uh, you know, all the different ways you can use design for social change. And I uh, did a couple of uh, experiments like, um, you know, when you walk by and you see like a homeless person with a really crappy sign, right? It's like, like horrible, like ripped cardboard, bad written. So I like, did these fancy like nice clear functional right they weren't meant to be like glamorous like clear designed yellow and red like a street sign almost uh and gave a couple out and and took some pictures of that in action right and so um for me i was trying to see just a very small thing about like how can i use how can design improve uh people's lives from that perspective um and and back to the, the idea of, of freelancing, again, like there was like one agency I applied to work for and that was it. Like I wasn't, they weren't even hiring. I just said, <laughs> I'm interested, I'm graduating. Um, and I just decided to keep freelancing. So I made the decision to move back to Brampton. I was living downtown for school and I was just like, okay, I got my nonprofit. I'm going to freelance and we'll see what comes out of it. Wow. Would, would you say that your kind of approach was... Um the majority while you were in OCAD or would you say you were more of the exception and most people didn't freelance in university and they just studied hard and they just tried to join an agency afterwards? Yeah, a, a lot of the individuals I was with, um, especially people that were my age, they uh, when they were doing things, it was their own projects, right? Personal projects as creatives, as artists, as designers. Um, some of them would do, you know, enter exhibits and things like that, or just do stuff on their own. Sometimes, of course, people would do work for, let's say, you know, their parents had a company or something, or, you know, their sister's getting married, they're going to be the one that's designing the invitations, but it wasn't like they intended to be like a full-time 
agency owner. A lot of people I know, um, again, they all applied for agencies, right? Very competitive industry. Some went into into freelancing, but uh, you know, OCAD does graduate you know hundreds of people in in the you know design and illustration programs every year. So uh, that compared with other schools too, like York and Sheridan and other colleges, it's um, it's a huge competitive market out there. So. Um, there, there definitely was a heavy emphasis on applying for full-time designer roles. For me, I did feel that even though I hadn't tried it yet, I feel like I wouldn't be fulfilled exclusively doing graphic design in, in a studio context or in-house because I'm the kind of person that likes to have my hands in everything, right? I like to see the impact of those projects, I like to see the bigger picture of those projects and that strategy behind them. Um, and going straight into studio well, it's very admirable to like really own your craft. I know that personally, I would uh, probably get bored uh, quickly, and who knows, maybe maybe not produce the best work, right? Mm-hmm. So when I started a freelancing, it led me very quickly into, oh, you need something for your website, okay? Who's doing your website? And they need help with their website. So I learned a lot about how to do basic websites and build on WordPress and learn about domain names and hosting and all that type of stuff. And uh, that's where the entrepreneurial side also really grew. Same thing with social media management. When you're working on a brand, where is that brand going to live? Obviously, you're going to put it on your print material that you're talking about for the event you need. But you need to have a web presence. You need to have a social media presence. And so I even did social media management. Later on, I went to UFT and studied digital strategy and um, online engagement in order to be able to actually make recommendations to my clients in that perspective. And that, I think, is where, you know, I was able to really enhance my perspective of what it means to be an agency. An agency is not just kind of pumping out work with people's instructions, but you're actually giving them these uh, this advice and recommendations, right? So I, I, in that case, I definitely wasn't the norm. Like most of the people from, you know, my, my school, unless they are, um, unless they were already like older, let's say like they're more established in their career, they're coming back to school. Most of them hadn't started, you know, or built an agency at that point. Um, there are definitely a couple of exceptions and there are people that, uh, that have pivoted since then and done other things. But for me, I'm able to kind of diversify the work that I do as an agency. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, now creative groups, I think you're going on your close to seven, seventh year, right? Of running the actual agency. And yeah. Yeah. I read that when you were first thinking of the transition from being a freelancer to an agency, you felt that you saw this need that was being serviced for the small and medium sized businesses that could have this kind of full streamlined service. And in one interview, you mentioned how you saw like when you're doing like a logo logo design work for one client, they would have you do the logo design work, but then they'd hire some other freelancer to come in and do the right. the next part of the work. Right? Why why did uh, these kind of small and medium sized businesses have that kind of model where they would use a lot of different freelancers instead of asking one person to do everything? I think it's two different things. One of it is lack of strategy. So on on their part, um, usually the person who's doing it is either the business owner who is extremely burdened and taxed with 1,500 other, you know, duties and decisions and responsibilities. Uh, or two, um, they don't ne- they aren't necessarily looking for, um, they, they don't have knowledge of the actual individual person executing, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't know the difference between, you know, a web designer, a web developer, right? A social media strategist or a social media manager, community manager, right? A lot of these things, they just categorize into 
creatives or marketing, right? And so when you're looking for a freelancer, oftentimes, um, and and I can see this by postings that I see online even today, um, people are kind of asking for a strange combination of those skills um, or they, they don't even know what they're asking for, right? Um, and And that's not to blame them. Just like when I'm going to do, you know, something more in your, in your space, when I'm going to do, uh, something to do with accounting, right? I don't know exactly what I need, uh, an actual accountant for versus a bookkeeper versus what can I go to H&R Block for versus, you know what I mean? Like, like which software do I use? I just know that something has to happen with these numbers, right? <laughs> There's numbers in finance. Exactly. And someone needs to take care of it. <laughs> exactly, right. Uh, and, and so that's a, a, the same thing is true on the marketing front, right? People know they have to have a message. They know they need something on their website. They don't know how it interacts with each other, what's the overall strategy, when to update it, you know, uh, and what to ask for, right? So the, the role that um, I got to play was, um, again, starting from a freelancer, you get pretty close to them in their business. So... You're, you're starting to understand their needs and their challenges. And when that happens, you can, if you're strategic, you can make those recommendations, right? And for me, I had to be careful because, of course, I was being paid to simply design, let's say, a business card. But I might have an issue with their business name or their website might uh, might not match the business card in the sense that the customer is going to be super confused about that, right? There's a disconnect. So I have to be careful because they're not hiring me to do that work. So I can't just give away strategy for free because that is ultimately the most valuable port uh, component. But you also have to build that trust. And so by making those recommendations, uh, a lot of times in these meetings at like various, you know, second cops or cafes or whatever, people would be like caught off guard and be like, like, tell me more, right? Like they, they want to know that. So once they kind of give you that uh, permission to, to really uh, give them that advice, recommendations, I feel like you can move into a more holistic solution. Mm -hmm. And to add to that, uh, the reason for eventually starting an agency after, you know, between it was about a year to two years in of full-time freelancing. The reason I had to brand it as an agency, I felt, is because, you know, I'm Daniel, the graphic designer. It doesn't mean you're going to trust me with video production and your entire marketing strategy as Daniel, the freelance designer, right? Mm -hmm. And so even my website was danieldesign.ca, right? It wasn't like, okay, this guy's just, this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, I could do great design work, but that's as far as it could look from their end. So I, uh, and I would start to outsource, I'd start to bring on, you know, uh, colleagues and, and, and peers to do some creative work with me, do some web work with me. And, and so from that point on, I'm like, okay, it doesn't make sense to do it as Daniel, right? Uh, I need to position this value uh, as a bigger picture thing. And that's where the agency was born. Mm. What kind of, did you have to go through like a mental shift and from going from being a freelancer to saying, I'm going to be Daniel, the guy that runs an agency now. And what kind of mental shift was that? Absolutely. Yeah. So the mental shift was, again, it's, it feels like it was forever ago, right? But it was uh, only only a couple years in. So it was maybe five years ago that this happened, four years ago, whatever the math is. I don't, I'm not very good with dates and times. But um, I, I really shifted from thinking about how do I position the value of this, right? Going from just taking a request, taking an order, okay, assignment ABC, we need this on a document, it needs to be this size, to... Um, framing it as, okay, this is a business, so we're an agency. Yes, it's going to cost X amount of dollars per hour to produce this design work, but we're also helping with the copy, the messaging, and 
we're giving you creative direction, right? Creative direction is something that doesn't exist from a freelance designer because the client has to provide that direction. But if they're asking you as an agency, you now have to provide that expertise. They're turning to you for that bigger picture thing, right? Um, also, as an agency, sometimes you're brought in to collaborate with other creatives and other um, agencies and strategists and in-house marketing teams. As a freelancer, again, you're just kind of given that information, right? There are some freelancers that definitely get involved in the process. That's, you know, that's fine, especially if the company, you know, has a way to in- incorporate them. For the most part, though, the mentality on my end did have to change. Um, and also the, the biggest thing is the, is the pricing, right? Uh, for the longest time, maybe the first year or more, um, it was very difficult to raise my pricing to the point where I could even pay myself for the work, right? The only way I could pay myself for the work is if I was actually doing work on those particular projects as, as an ex- person executing. Um, the coordination, the sales part, the invoicing, the project management, the sourcing, the talent, the reviews, the printing coordination, none of that was billable, right? It was all just we need to get this project done. I'm the go-to guy. I have people working on it with me, but they're just doing the creative, meaning I have to do everything else, right? So it was a mindset mindset shift from two things. One, the value, right, that we're providing. And two, the actual logistics of running a company as opposed to just, hey, I'm Daniel. I'm going to show up and do this work for you. Um, and that was definitely, that definitely took a while too. And for whatever reason, it, it was deeply ingrained into me even though i'd only been doing it a couple of years that way of thinking had been deeply ingrained and so it took a long time to change that mentality even to this day um april again who i mentioned managing director is like daniel we need to bill for your like we need to build you into this project right whereas in the past it just be like yeah it's my company i'm going to be part of this project right uh but now it's like no 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 if you're going to be the strategist on this project we need to have your billable rate for this particular project and you're going to be you're going to be involved and you're going to take a role in it right and maybe this other project you're not you're just going to approve the creative and so the the proportion of my hours and my time has to be allocated because time is money in that sense uh and also what we have to look at is uh from a strategy standpoint if i'm doing a strategy session that's obviously going to be weighted a lot higher, the time and energy that goes into that, the preparation, the research, then asking me to review, you know, what does the social media graphic look like, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to look at how I'm weighing my time. And uh, and that has all been a learning process over the last six and a half, seven years. Wow. And so how, how did that journey of like thinking about pricing like evolve? Like I, as I've been mentioning to you before the recording about thinking about building out my own like podcasting agency and providing my own services it's yeah it seems like you know imposter syndrome and pricing kind of sometimes go hand in hand at least in my purview and i'd love to hear from like, your perspective what your for sure journey has been like handling those two yep it so it did it did happen obviously freelancing as a graphic designer i would be dealing with people that are you know entry-level business owners right it's just especially being in brampton uh, I'll jump back to the last question, which is like the shift to the agency. The One of the main reasons that I like launched this agency, besides, you know, doing all these extra services that were not designed, was I needed a mindset shift and I needed to physically relocate myself. So I had been living in Brampton after coming back from OCAD. And I was, again, meeting with people in these cafes, right? And it was like very restrictive mindset at that point for me. So 
I'm literally working on something as small as a business card for someone, right? And how much can you actually charge for a business card, right? You're not, there's nothing really strategic in that. It's very simple design execution. No matter what you do, the person is not going to value a business card at $20,000, no matter what, right? And so, you know, unless it's printed on gold, then at that point, the money's not going to you. It's going to the, <laughs> to purchase the gold, right? So, um, so that was a shift that moving from, you know, being in the suburbs and working with these one-off freelance projects to being in Toronto with a studio, I rented a desk at a co-working space. So that was the, the initial shift. And I had an address, literally having that mailing address made a big difference and positioning it as now creative group. The, the reason for that name also was I had, I had built in the potential to have an unlimited number of people on the team, right? It wasn't just going to be me and, and, and maybe a, a graphic design friend from OCAD. It was going to be, this is a whole team. So it's easier to scale that up, right? If you're asking us for podcast production, I don't have to say we don't do podcast production at the time. I, I would have been able to formulate, you know, a, an arrangement to make that work. Right. And of course we, we started to really choose like what are our core strengths? We don't have to do absolutely everything. Um, but when it comes to pricing, it's looking at a standard formula of now it's not just you getting paid, but there's other people getting paid and there's the company has to get paid. So the very basic beginning was choosing what's a profit margin that we want to have and what do we want to build into every single project. Now, typically you can choose a, a profit margin based on your actual expenses first. Like what is your overhead? But again, if you're renting a, a co-working space desk and that's your only real expense or your only fixed expense, everything else for the most part is people you're paying as one-off projects, right? So there's when there's no salaries, you're really able to gauge, okay, um, a per project rate, right? So let's just say that you're going to quote someone $2,000 for this project. You know that you're going to have to pay person A $400, person B $600. That's $1,000 gone. You know that your time is worth X amount and you want to have a 30% or 25% margin. So if you want to have 25% margin, very basic math, you need to save $500 of that. You cannot touch, right? So you have, to, so you have $1,500 to pay yourself and everyone else. Now, sometimes there's costs, production costs, physical things you have to buy, supplies, meetings, coffees. If you don't factor any of that in, you can very quickly eat into the $500 profit portion. Mm. Um, I would literally have to like triple at least the prices that I would charge as a freelancer for this to happen. And to be honest, the, for in the first year, my cut was was nothing, right? Like I would literally just use whatever was left to pay for my living expenses and rent the desk and and everything else was okay let's keep these projects going let's pay the team let's you know what i mean let's get the work done um and if i would quote you two thousand dollars for a project chances are that's because that's what the designers <laughs> gonna charge right and so there wasn't much there wasn't much to work with there mm. um now that happened because a lot of these clients were still from my freelancing days and the network of my freelancing clients who would refer people to me. So you can't just jump from 500 to $2,000 for, for deliverable. Um, at least that's what I learned. Um, but over the years, we've always, we've always slowly increased our pricing and, uh, and, it, and it makes a huge difference because it enables you to be able to hire different talent, right? If, if it's all you, yes, absolutely. Your skill set has increased, right? In six years, if you're doing podcasting for six years, You've become a, an expert in that, right? You know what equipment to use. You know, you maybe it used to take you six hours to edit an episode. Now it takes you two hours. Like that all changes, right? So in turn, your pricing can go up as well. 
Um, I will say that when you are working with people like individuals or uh, like solopreneurs or for nonprofits, there is still price sensitivity that you, of course, you have to look at. If you want to continue working with them, you can't just, you know, quadruple the prices on them. And for me, it's always been uh, a challenge because I love working with those people. I love working with like, you know, the change makers and the, and the social uh, purpose businesses and then the nonprofits. So what we've done is uh, we've basically allocated certain amount of projects per year that we're going to work on with those people that are either a partnership or something we're sponsoring. And that, that still enables us to be able to actually do that because once your costs are a certain level, everything you're giving away for free, you're not just not making profit. You're actually, you're actually losing money at that point too. Um, cause it, it eats into your bottom line as a business owner. So I know I threw a lot of, uh, a lot of numbers out there, but hopefully that kind of explains the policy or the concept. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that was, that was awesome. Honestly, like it was awesome to hear the full overview and it kind of touches upon all these other side questions that are like popping into my mind. And one that jumps out is like, so I know you have like you said, small clients where you love working with startups, solopreneurs, nonprofits, but you also have big clients like yep. CIBC and Telus and like the yep. giants of Canada. And I remember, I think I read one part where you said to actually grow an agency, it's not about getting more clients, but also having a lot of different kinds of clients as well and different kinds of projects. Can you yep. elaborate more on like that and like the kind of difference? You elaborate a little bit on the difference between having startups and solopreneurs as clients, but also the difference having larger clients as well. Yeah, I mean... I, as a, as an individual, like I said, from the beginning, like I'm, I'm interested in, you know, getting involved in, in these projects because I'm interested in either the problems that they're solving or I'm interested in the, uh, the approach that they have. Maybe it's a unique approach or it's innovative. I know that those, uh, organizations, uh, or startups are not going to be funded necessarily yet, but there is an opportunity if you believe in that, in that project or that cause or that, um, their vision that you can you know you can build yourself into that right but you can't you can't sustain yourself or pay a team if that's all that you do right so for me it's always been okay well what level can we support can i do some strategy session can i do some coaching with them can i do you know what's like a very effective thing for example if we work on their brand that's something that's going to have an impact because it's going to be on everything everywhere and, and it's going to have that strategy associated with it. But if we commit to managing the social media, let's say, that's an ongoing monthly recurring expense that we would have to take on, right? And they may not have the budget for that. So we're able to work on those projects either as one-off thing, such as an event or a one-time project uh, or consulting them, right? A lot of, especially with the youth-led nonprofit groups, uh, it's, it's we're going to give them that, that consultation, right? Set them in the right direction, answer some questions they have along the way and advise them. Um when it comes to a large client, such as a corporate client, the beauty of those is, you know, well, it's twofold. One, they have the budget available, but two, a lot of times it's limited because of the direction that they have. They have a very specific objective and sometimes their own strategy. So it's that freedom between, okay, we get, we get to fully own this. We get to give, give it our all, all our ideas, you know, go forth, try this out, be creative not get a huge payoff necessarily right away. And then for a larger corporate client, it's typically going to be you know, the budget's available, you're good to go, it can be profitable, but um, you have to listen to our instructions. Now, that's typical, and that's with any any type of service provider. But the, the dream situation to get in and the ideal situation is to be doing the strategy and the consulting for those large institutions. And that's what, what we're starting to get into now is, you know, 
because we've consulted with startups, guess what? There's there's big companies that want to think like startups, right? And so we've been able to leverage our experience in that in the startup world, in the nonprofit world, in the community space, uh, and then work with larger corporate uh, companies and organizations to to help them think that same way. Mm-hmm. And can you do you remember your first kind of big pitch moment to a corporate client, and how how has it evolved since that first time? <laughs> I mean. I don't I don't remember what the first one was, but uh, there was a few that I was brought in as a collaborator, right? Where it's like it's it's someone else who has the client, right? Or trying to pitch the client, and they need me because I can execute on X Y Z for them, right? So for that, like the pressure is definitely still on, but they also have to do a lot of selling uh, as to how this is going to work, and I'm there to really sell my ideas and my technical skill set. So a lot of times you feel like you're on the stand, right? Where people are like, okay. Like, tell us exactly about the type of work that you've done in this exact industry, right? And any any entrepreneur will tell you or creative will tell you, like, it's not about the industry. It's about the process. That's that's the value in the work, right? So I can do a rebrand for a product or a service, right? It could be for a B2B company or it could be for something you see on the street that's, that's a booth or an activation. And so trying to justify that is quite difficult, especially early on. Um, when it comes to corporate pitches, I will say that, uh, (laughs) the environment is typically, um, not a, not ideal one for creatives, right? So I can see this where like I brought a team in, uh, I'll tell you about a, actually, okay. I will mention a really bad experience because you, you want an example. Yeah. Yeah. So more stories, the better. Exactly. Yeah. So this is, this was an organization. It was, it was, uh, an association. This, this happened like, you know, very early on in the company and we had it, we had quoted them. We got in the project. We were working on, on this project. I won't give too many details, but it was at the point where we were basically pitching to the, to their board and they didn't think the project was going well. It was taking longer. They had someone on their board who had a technical background who who thought, you know, he had more opinions on the technical side of this website project and whatnot. And so I had to bring in as like basically as many people as I could to like pitch them. Like, like actually this is fine. Like here's our kind of re-inspire them with our vision, right? The condition was that this was a make or break. We could either reprove to them that we're good to go, or we would have to actually cancel the project. And again, because it was an association, uh, you know, there are they are a nonprofit in that front. Like, we're not trying to withhold their money, right? Like, we're not we don't want to tie up their money, but we also believe, like, hey, we can actually solve this problem for you. So we convinced ourselves that we could do it. I brought in, you know, a developer, I brought in a designer, I brought in kind of a project manager person, I brought in another creative, and we really, you know, pitched it and explained to them our process and answered all their questions. But the there's a disconnect, right? The disconnect is the mindset of those individuals, they don't necessarily understand how creative process works, A. And B, they're not uh, as a, as a, as a, I'm going to use the word corporate, even though they're a nonprofit, right? As a like formal board in suits sitting there, they're not necessarily in the mindset or in, or in the, they're not necessarily open to those solutions, right? And so that is an uphill battle for, for any creative to get into a boardroom like that. Um, for us in the end, they didn't continue with the project. Uh, I found out later that it was definitely a budget issue. Like I think they had overcommitted to this project in the first place. They felt like one of the team members could just finish it themselves in house. The learning experience is obviously that being super transparent and open from the beginning would, would very much 
help that project, not even get to that point, right? And what I what I learned now is the value of the, the consulting and the strategy from day one prevents that any situation like that because everyone's on the same page. No matter what their concerns are as a board or as a corporate, we get to know who's approving this, right? Sometimes in a corporation, there's three levels of people that have to approve it. We get to know that right away, right? One of the questions we go through is not only what's the approval process like, but what do you need in order to actually position this to so-and-so people above you, right? And um, those are all things that I learned on the way. Because remember, I didn't go to business school. I didn't have any background in this. I didn't know how organizations worked or how hierarchy worked and corporate structure worked. So uh, I wouldn't be able to know that, right, as a as a creative starting this agency. And that's where, um, that's one of those, yeah, like main examples of things you learn as you go, for sure. Mm-hmm. And th- so then for someone who, um, like, someone like me who might be trying to get my own kind of first client is there kind of an ideal type of person company or like maybe it's a size thing maybe it's an industry thing that Mm -hmm. you think would be um recommended i think that um for if you're looking to do something that actually you have you get to have a say right or like an impact on it a small organization is going to be great for that the challenge is that you have to manage your expectations because they are going to be typically short-staffed or under-resourced, right? So you really have to set what your limits are going to be, but you're going to tell them, like, I will do, like, I will put my all into this one portion of it. And this is exactly what I'm going to deliver you, but I'm not your I'm not your overall solution for everything. I'm not your entire department. I'm this one thing, right? Once that's framed, you can really show them like, hey, I have your needs at heart, right? I'm, I'm actually taking the time to understand your organization and they'll they'll value that, right? They really, um, they'll have their, hopefully they can have their guards down and work with you. That's an amazing portfolio piece to have, right? Because I come from the creative world, but even if you're working on, you know, I don't know, an audit of, of their organization, right? You need to show that someone trusted you with that, right? Um, so small organizations are great and nonprofits are amazing because, so a lot of the times um, they do get volunteers or people to do this in kind. So they are, they are actively looking. They can't always get the you know top of the line person in there because they can't afford them. So if you're able to offer them something and, and get them to take a, a risk on you, um, chances are, you know, that could end up being a pretty strong portfolio piece. And for you, if, if it's not something you want to use in your portfolio, at least you learned how to deal with that type of organization and, more importantly, they got something out of it, right? You're, you're making an impact for them. When uh, when a lot of design students are, when I speak with design students a lot, they're looking for work right out of school and it's hard to get full-time work. I just, I tell them, don't, don't worry about the full-time work. Do as many portfolio pieces as you can with a wide variety of clients, right? Show, like, go to a restaurant, offer to design a really crappy drink menu that they have, right? Like, I'm not saying go to a chain, right? And then do that for free. But I'm saying like offer, because guess what? If that works, you're going to actually have your piece printed in a restaurant in real life in the city that people can go see, right? Like it's something where it's a tangible deliverable, right? And you choose how much time you want to put into it. I'm not saying work for free for, you know, full time. I'm just saying choose those projects that are really going to get you uh, far when it comes to a portfolio piece. Mm-hmm. No, that's... That's awesome. That's an awesome recommendation. And you touched upon setting out the constraints ahead of time. And I think <laughs> I, I in, in another interview I heard that you gave, you said an advice you'd give to you, like 
your younger self or other young people to find your strengths and yes. focus on your strengths. And yes. it seems like a lot of that process was also put into building like your own agency as well to fo- focus on what you guys are strong at. And I'd like to know what kind of process you actually went through for both your now creative agency mm-hmm. as well as yourself in yeah. figuring out what you're actually good at. Yeah, exactly. So for the agency, it came with sheer volume of projects, right? The amount of projects we're taking on, the amount of industries we had to work in, everything from real estate to hospitality to um, government to nonprofits to like whatever it is. We've done it. We've done a huge range of that. Um, we get to learn the nuances of the industries, right? And and what they typically look for and how they are to deal with and what their budgets are and their processes. Um, but also we get to look at the, what type of project it is, right? So again, you can do a website for any industry, right? Any, any uh, niche, any, um, yeah, anything. But it's more about how is that? How is it to work with that particular client, right? What are their business needs? How are they judging you based off that site? A lot of times, uh, we have we have some clients that are in, especially like for example, in the consumer space. Like they're selling products, right? One-off products, e-commerce, or they're selling, or they have a storefront. And they need traffic. They're literally looking for you to bring those numbers in. They may even have something to compare it against. Whereas if you're doing a website for a service provider or a a firm, right, or a large company, yeah, they want traffic to the website, but they know that the traffic is not your job, right? Your job is to make that website. Whereas a different type of business is looking for actual conversions and leads. And, and so you get to choose what you're good at. If you if you want to be someone who does digital marketing and is, and is results focused on that front, that's great. But you have to find people on your team that can do that. And you have to feel confident in that. If you're someone who is confident in doing building a strong brand because that's what you value and you think that with a brand you can get better results and that company can grow then that's what you focus on. So for me, it was two things, like because you mentioned personally and with the company, and it's tied It's tied together. I do not personally um, you know, find any passion or joy in optimizing like analytics for uh, analytics and clicks and, and conversions because I look at the bigger picture of that, right? Yes, if your website's super functional, you can make it easier for someone to make a purchase. But... I look for how did someone even get to your site in the first place? Like, and then are they going to share that with someone, right? Is it something that aligns with them as a person or as a brand? And so I would probably say that now isn't going to be the agency that's going to deal with just those conversions. Um, But if you're looking for someone to actually do the branding and the storytelling and the positioning of that and the partnerships even and getting you press and all that, maybe we will do that, right? We offered, we offered everything from the technical stuff to, to press releases, media, like we're not a, we're not a press release company. I'm sorry, not press release company, but that we're not a PR firm. Right. And so have we offered PR? Yes. Um, did we learn what our strengths are? Yes. Right. We learned that if we partner with a specific PR firm or a PR uh, consultant or freelancer, we could get better results. We don't have to say that that's what we specialize in. Right. And then eventually people start to recognize you for those things that you do specialize in. Um, and that's where it's a win-win because guess what? That means the referrals you're going to get are going to be for the right service. If I personally don't enjoy websites, if everyone, I know that everyone needs one. If all my referrals were for, Hey, you should go to Daniel at now creative group. He does, he does great websites. I'm going to not be super happy about those referrals. I'm going to be always appreciative and thankful, but it's like, 
it's like, man, like someone's giving you something you just don't want to deal with, right? It's like, for example, if someone's bringing, you know, they're bringing food to your house, you're so grateful, but it's like, I actually hate that. Like, it's like something I'm not going to want to eat, right? And now I have a fridge full of XYZ um, that no one in the house is going to want. And that's similar with projects, right? It's still valuable. It's still revenue. But, you know, it might be more um, hassle than it's worth or or it might even cost more to execute on than they're going to be paying you. And then when it comes to me personally, I've identified my strengths uh, over the last few years, specifically the last one to two years. Uh, where I really, really, really am putting emphasis on the the value of the strategy and the consulting side, where it comes to um, like revisiting branding and direction and positioning and partnerships, especially for social purpose businesses and nonprofits. Um, but also there's there's a number of other industries where that stuff carries over into, right? So I'm going to be um, like very much focused a lot more this year on uh, that. That's what I'm doing, right? Like, like we're, I'm, I'm being booked for the strategy sessions. I'm not going to be booked for, you know, the six month version of the execution of that project. Right. Because that way I can do more strategy sessions and another member of the team can handle that particular execution. Mm-hmm. Um, now as a business owner though, it's still all under me, right? Like I still have to oversee certain things. Um, even if it's not me working on it, I have t- team members that manage things. Um, the pressure of delivering a quality product is on me too. So there's a couple of services that we decide at the end of last middle of last year, sorry, that we just aren't going to take on new projects for, right? We aren't going to actively advertise them. If we get a referral from an existing client, we will make, we will make that work, right? Because we value that relationship. But if, you know, I meet you walking down the street and you're like, Oh, do you do this? I'm like, no, (laughs) we don't. Uh, So saying no is definitely something that you have to learn too. Yeah, I can imagine it's not been an easy process to learn to say no. Not at all, especially when you have a team and bills to pay for, right? You you want to keep growing your business. So saying no to opportunities is, is very difficult for uh, for any entrepreneur, for sure. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned about how, you know, the strength of the business ties into the strength of who you are. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it can, that can be the case for everyone that has a job. But I think it can actually be really emphasized for an entrepreneur where the business is kind of your own baby as a part of who you are. Yeah. And I think when when I was an investor, one thing I I, di- I tried to dissect the definition of what is financial freedom, and for me, it kind of came out to the freedom of time, location, and direction. And right. I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs get in what they do. But that's I think the fancy nice side of one coin. But there's you know every coin has two <laughs> sides, and so there's that side, the other side where growth is non-linear. It's there's a long time where everything seems to just go sideways mm-hmm. or sometimes just goes down before it ever goes up. Can you can you kind of talk about that time in your journey where yeah, yeah like there's a sideways part where we call it the sideways market in finance where <laughs> it never goes up for a long Absolutely. time. For sure. And and that there's two things that I look at for that. One is like what are the decisions that like that I made, right? Whether it was the type of company, that's team structure. And the second thing is on the sales side, right? Because I had established a pretty strong network <clears throat> through all the different things I was involved in, community things, nonprofit things, school things. And obviously going out and networking and entrepreneurship events and speaking and whatnot. But that doesn't always convert to the exact type of client as we talked about, um, whether it's the size of the client or the industry of the client. And so you have to really look at 
what can I control about the sales process versus um, what are we just going to, you know, we're just going to accommodate something that comes in. And so uh, the time where, where growth was not going to go up at all, or where even if revenue was there, profit wasn't going to be there, was when we took on high volume of these small projects, right? You know, whether it was a favor, whether it was a referral, whether it was a sponsorship, an in-kind thing, an event, at any given time, you know, and we had a number of interns as well working on them. So again, it's like high volume of people, of, of time, of commitment, of communication, of deliverables, very low return, right? You feel like you're busy and the whole team feels like they're busy, but we're not actually going to be bringing in anything super valuable at that point, right? And that's where I looked at transitioning from uh, quantity, from high volume to lower volume, but higher quality projects, right? So it's a, it's a quality over quantity thing. And on the side, from a nonprofit standpoint or a personal brand, I can choose to be involved in anything that I would like to that um, is going to be, you know, benefiting the community, helping out people. It's fine. But from a company standpoint, we need to kind of draw a line in the sand, right? And sometimes it helps to have external perspective. So uh, I think it was 2018 or 2019 uh, overlapping those. We had a business coach that specifically helped us kind of uh, reminded us to, to really focus on that and, and to say no to certain things. Um, but also April uh, stepping up her role as managing director. It's really about... Um, she has a other perspective too. That's not me, right? Yes, she's invested in the company. She's very passionate about it. But it's um, for me. It's like it's very difficult when you're when it's your company because you can get uh, overtaken by you know relationships or these emotions to work on certain things, right? And uh, I've seen that with other business owners. It's almost it's like it's a flaw where like you want to do all these things, but your company is asking you to do this, right? And, uh, and so we've, we've learned to make those decisions and we continue to be faced with them, of course, because you have a reputation for doing something. People are going to keep <laughs> knocking at your door. There, there was a point where we had, during the time I mentioned, where we had like all these small projects, we were also doing all kinds of events. We had people not only asking us to be at events, but we were hosting events at our space as well. And the amount of energy that that put in, like, literally like, you know, falling asleep on the way home and just like being completely exhausted because we just had another 12 hour day in a row because we're doing these events in our space. And it's like, it's great. It's positive. People are happy, but it's not serving the business. Right. And in the long run, um, you wouldn't be able to sustain that. Right. Uh, obviously you're going to, you're going to be able to get more awareness, but awareness doesn't pay the bills ultimately. Right. Um, as a startup, we do, of course, encourage people to do things like that because you you need to build that hype and that community uh, and you can benefit from it later. That's great. We have a meetup group with 2000 people in it. We are able to leverage that. We're able to host events. People approach us about sponsoring it. That's great. But what is our core business? Right. And what am I as an entrepreneur trying to do? I'm not trying to host free meetups. I personally want to have an impact mentoring a youth led nonprofit or building a really cool brand that has a storefront in Toronto that we get to walk by and, and see, right? So that's the uh, that's the thing you have to realize when you're thrown this insane amount of opportunities uh, and, and what you could see as noise, right? Is it noise or, or is it opportunity? You have to be able to make that that call. Mm -hmm. And just, just from the way that you seem to handle those 
you know, periods where things are not as obvious. Mm-hmm. That, that may not appear as obvious or as rosy. Like it seems like you, know, you have a lot of optimism and trying to figure out how can we make this work, how can we make this work, and totally. it could be you know like a strength of what you of your own character. And you know, I consider myself to be a relatively optimistic person as well. Like that seems to be the feedback I get. But I think there are always those times where things just seem dark, and I've, mm-hmm. I always have to find different ways to pull myself out of it. How do you handle those times? So, yeah, so for me, um, there's certain periods that were not so good, let's say financially, or um, if I was personally just drained, right? Like just completely drained and exhausted from the volume of things we're doing or, or, or having too many, too many challenges in one week, right? Mm-hmm. We all know that as, as entrepreneurs, you're going to be faced with challenges, whether it's something like a team member quitting or like unexpectedly or uh, a client project that you know is is over budget is not going to work out or, or you're late on something and everyone you know the burden is on you as a business owner right and what i guess it ha- it so happens that you know working those 12 hour days you don't really have much time to reflect <laughs> so it's kind of a good thing because you're not kind of like dwelling in like oh man like why is this happening right <laughs> um but it is really important when you do take a break to actually realize, like, you know what? We don't want to get ourselves into that situation <laughs> again. So we're going to not take that type of person on. And I think that um, for me, that's why it's been a slow learning process. Because, um, again, I'll have people around me, like my friends and my team members that are like, the last time we sponsored this thing or the last time we worked with this person, look what happened, right? And I need that almost that reminder, right? Um because I, as you as you mentioned as well, like I'm typically very positive, right? I'm I'm optimistic, I'm motivated. If I see a problem, I want to either downplay the problem because everything else is great, right? Or um, I know that it's a temporary thing that will be gone soon and we can keep going with everything else, right? But if I don't address it, it could keep happening, right? And there are things that you think are positive. Like one time we we had this thing we call like the summer of interns. We had so many people in our space that were interns, co-ops, students, whatever. Uh, and that could be super positive, right? Everybody was great. We were going, we were doing like bubble tea runs, buying drinks for everyone. It was all cool. But what were we actually getting done? Like what was happening with the numbers, right? And so I obviously looking back, you can see like, is there a correlation between sales? Maybe not, right? It's not like the, it's not like having those people there lowered our sales, but it definitely lowered my focus and my attention. And also had had a um, had a impact on our full time team members that are like some some of the days like with the events and having those people around, like they're not able to focus on their work. Let's say they let's say they go from eight hours a day to four hours a day of, of hardcore work because. There's all these things happening in the space. There's people asking them questions. There's we got to go go to this event with them. We got to take them here. We got to be here. I got to wake up early to let them in, whereas normally I wouldn't, right? So those things are um, they create a negative situation, like a un- negative undertone. And um, someone like me, I see the positive. It's, hey, we have this great group of people that we just worked with all summer. They're super pumped, right? They uh, they're gonna go tell you know. Their, their colleagues or their peers that they had a great experience at an agency. They uh, they know what it's like to work here. They have a portfolio piece. I'm looking at the positive of it, right? But there's obviously, there's 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 very clear negatives that would have happened to the company, right? So um, that's where, yeah, that's where you kind of have to have that. I personally think you have to have the external feedback mm-hmm. to like observe and remind you about that stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that, that might be a pretty good segue to the kind of final questions I have for a lot of my guests on the interview. And given that, given that you know, keeping that external perspective in mind, what would you say um, you have as like an unconventional view on the aspects of career and life? What's something that you hold that you think, yeah, this is a pretty unconventional point of view? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, I, I've never... <laughs> it's funny because I don't typically choose to take on a client based on the budget, right? It's 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 been based on what potential I think this has for impact, whether it's within, you know, their community, our community, nonprofit, our portfolio, whatever it is. I choose that first. Um I've I haven't been, you know, there hasn't been like a, a number of lucrative opportunities that I've straight up said no to just because I don't think, you know, that's going to have those positive benefits. But a lot of times I will I will lead with that, right? That is why we should take this on. And so most business owners who are in it because of the business or um, for whatever reason that they're in it, they might not see it that way. Um, it's gotten me into some amazing opportunities, some amazing partnerships, some amazing relationships. Um, obviously, there are situations where, again, you, you, you know, you bite off more than you can chew and doesn't turn out so well for either party. Um, but it's, I think it's worth that risk, right? For me, I'm, I'm, I'm able to make certain decisions based on passion. Like it doesn't make sense for us to sponsor a, uh, as an agency to sponsor a like student, like high school student event or conference or for me to speak there. But what's unconventional I would say about me is that I say yes to those opportunities because Part of what I want my my goal or my legacy to be here is to inspire the next generation of these entrepreneurs, right? I want people to see that you can build a career. You don't have to just straight up go directly into university, directly into an internship, directly into a full-time job and stay in that career, right? Because I've talked to people who are just trying to get out of it, right? So like peers and, and colleagues and friends and even people I randomly meet at events, they, they want to know like, how do I start this thing, right? Or can you help me with my side hustle? Or how do I make this a bigger thing? Um, that I think that's kind of what's unconventional. Now, I hope that, you know, it's not going to be an unconventional view soon. I hope that everyone is appreciative of this, like entrepreneurial thinking and uh, flexibility. And that includes flexibility with schedules and work hours, right? I do not expect people that work on my team to be available from whatever, 8.30 to 4.30 or 9 to 5 or, or, or weird hours that are just set up by society, right? And I, as a employer, that would make me different, I would say. But also um, as a creative and as an entrepreneur, I know that I don't work best during those hours too. And I want someone to be able to perform their best, right? We have people that will, we know work. They love, like, even though we have an office space, they, they love working at cafes or they love working at their home office or they love being on the go and they travel. And, you know, we have one of the designers we work with who I'm pretty sure over the last two months has been in three or four different places on trips while we're working with her. And she's in different times and she's just making it work, right? Like she's, um, she's making that choice and I want to enable other people to make that choice for the lifestyle that they want. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think we might have time for maybe one more question. All right. Um, if the 20 year old Daniel were to look at you right now, so probably third year in OCAD <laughs> looking at you running yes. an entire creative agency, what do you think the emotional reaction from that Daniel would be? I mean, <laughs> I don't think I would be, 
super surprised because for me, 30 at that point would feel old. But, uh, and I do know at some point I want to run an agency, but I literally had no idea what it would take right at that point to have to even even things that you'd never want to think about, like payroll and stuff, right? Like I, I had no idea about that. I just knew that I wanted to do the type of work that I wanted to do and that I, I know I want to collaborate with people that I like working with, right? So I would probably I would probably be worried <laughs> about, oh man, like what is this guy like what do I have to go through to manage all this, right? Uh-huh. Like, how is this happening? Um but more so how. I would just really be like, oh wow, like how do I how do I get there, right? How do I make this happen? And um I would also want to know about how am I able to properly balance my nonprofit and community work with the company? Because for me, one of the things I did battle after university, and I actually spoke to uh, one of my profs about this was I have a nonprofit right now, which I started in grade 10. I have a company that I'm about to grow, right? It's, it's just small. It's nothing right now. Should I, pers- like, is there, is there a risk in pursuing both of them full time? Right? Like, what do I do in this case? Like, do I continue building the nonprofit and try to make it huge and get funding and, and, you know, run that and grow it now? Or do I launch this agency, which I'm super excited about and my career is in creativity and then have the nonprofit just work out? And her, her advice was actually to, I don't think I've shared this anywhere, but her advice was to keep doing the nonprofit as a focus because it will be much diff- much more difficult to reignite that passion later on. And do- you can start an agency anytime, right? And like I mentioned earlier, like there's there's a million agencies, right? There's there's so many people out there that are even one or two person teams that are like, we're a creative agency in Toronto, right? And from their website, you have no idea how big they are. So there's, there's thousands of them, I'm sure, right? Um, so that was a very interesting uh, like way to frame it for me. And I've thought back to that a few times. Um, but of course, my first couple of years, because I was living at home and we did receive uh, we did receive a grant for the nonprofit, we were able to get an office space. Um, so we had some part-time staff. So I was there a few days a week and then we'd come downtown the other days, right? And I, I felt like I was able to, to make them both work. Now, do I wonder what would happen if I did one way or the other? Yes. Do I... You know, as a as a third year student, what I wonder if I had to choose one, would I be able to choose? No, <laughs> I know that even going back, I, I wouldn't be able to choose. So, um, I'm I'm pretty happy with kind of where 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 I've gone with both of those things, and I would have never foreseen Access, the nonprofit, evolving from you know school supplies and 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 fundraising for overseas. I would have never imagined that turning into what it is now, which is the access. We do a Bright Ideas pitch competition every year where we actually, the money we raise, we're actually giving it away to youth-led groups that are starting their own projects. That's something that I don't think at that age I would have been able to envision. So um, that's what I talked about at the beginning with my worlds of entrepreneurship and nonprofit kind of merging together. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome that you actually got that advice. And thanks for sharing that advice. Yeah, um, for sure. I think it's it's really cool how you can also build on both of them, and it seems like there's actually a foundation um, that Access actually granted for you in actually like building out right. an agency where you do focus on impact constantly. That's um, true. Yeah, yeah, I do get to mend those um, mold those worlds together because I love working on the social good projects through my company. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so, Daniel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with myself and my audience. Um, is there anything else like we didn't get to cover that you kind of wish we chatted about? 
No, I think that's great. I think there's all there's always the underlying, you know, uh, thoughts about like how do we deal with work life balance and time oh, yeah. management and stuff. But uh, I don't have the answers. Um, I did I did do a, another podcast uh, with Hamza Khan about that called Ideas into Action. Um, but again, that, that's not my area of expertise. You can also check out uh, Raphael Wong's podcast as well. And uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, the things I do to actually make it through the day. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much my story. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast, my friend. No and problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Take care. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It, hopefully it also helped you expand your perspectives Hopefully it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different maybe, challenging yourself, being courageous. Who knows? But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform. Really think about being a stakeholder in the platform. And the quick way to do that is to go to my website, oldmandan.com and go to the stakeholders page. I believe it's oldmandan.com slash stakeholder. And the link is also down below. And that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe follow to get more updates on the free content but at the same time also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee that's just how i put it and you can buy me a coffee a month coffee a week or coffee every day of the year and think about it as the way that you know if you wanted to chat with me you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat you might buy them a coffee so i'm just think of it as i'm the service that's doing that for you so you can just pay me in coffees (laughs) don't worry uh everything will still be free it's just it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that i can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it all this isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further so your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute and so yeah just check out the website go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder all right thank you